Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jerry Pitney, and today I am joined by the CEO of Arkansas Methodist Medical Center, Barry Davis. Barry, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about kind of how you got into the position you're in as CEO, but before we do that, I want to back up. Can you tell me a little bit of the history about how did our hospital even get here? I'm not exactly sure how that happened. Sure. Uh, the original hospital uh, was actually Dixon Memorial. Uh, Dixon Memorial was located, uh, if you're familiar with where the post office is, mm-hmm. the parking lot just to the west of uh, the post office was where Dixon Memorial was located. Dr. Dixon, uh, that was a physician-owned hospital uh, for many years, and up until the 30s, I guess, the late 30s, the um, some of the founding fathers, some of the businessmen here in town decided that Perigold needed a new, more modern hospital. Mm. So um, they started seeking funds, um, started looking for help uh, to, to get the hospital up and going. There was actually a city bond issue uh, at that time. Uh, and then they received some funds from other federal sources. Uh, but they started work on the hospital and... Uh, it was uh, basically the shell was completed and World War II broke out. And the building laid idle and incomplete. Mm. Uh, I was told that this was a little before my time. This was, I guess, probably 1941 or so, uh, that uh, all the windows were broken out of it. The kids played in it. It was kind of a, oh. a big playhouse for the, hospital, <laughs> or for the neighborhood. Uh, but after the war ended, uh, interest got renewed. Uh, I think some WPA funds uh, were acquired, and work started back on the hospital. And it was completed and received its first patient on October the 17th, 1949. Mm. So we're about, uh, what, 73 years old, approaching our 75th birthday. So the hospital uh, has been here. It's changed, as you know, over time. But the original building is still there. Uh, and that's you, is that the one that's facing the entrance is facing north. If you fight, if you're on Kings Highway and look up and you see the old the stucco part of the hospital, that's the original uh, hospital. It's kind of a pillbox shape, uh, and everything has kind of sprung up around it. Excellent. Is the uh, I guess the expansions that have happened since then has that been through grant money or has that been through just hospital money? Like, how's that work? Well, It's been through hospital money. We, of course, had bond issues and loans along the way, Mm -hmm. uh, which are, uh, you know, have been paid back. Uh, Still have debt for the hospital. Uh, One of the great things about our hospital is we have very little debt compared to most hospitals. Mm. So uh, we've been able to uh, pretty well expand uh, off of uh, the, the revenues that are generated from the hospital. That's great. Do you have any idea how many employees... Uh, a little over 600. Wow. Uh, that that uh, that number varies a little bit from time to time, but anywhere between 600 and 650 employees. Now, that's part-time, full-time, PRN, uh, which are kind of on an as-needed basis. Uh, but total, we cut about that many checks uh, every pay period. What was COVID like for you guys? I'm just interested uh, know, from your perspective. That had to be stressful. It was, very much so. Um uh, you know, it hit on the West Coast and the East Coast first, so we had a little time to prepare for it. Uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of information coming out. Uh, we formed a task force uh, made up of um, 
administrative staff, nurses, doctors. We met on a daily basis. Uh, looked at all the information coming in from from the federal level, state level, local level. Uh, we had to convert uh, a wing of our hospital to a negative pressure wing. A um, negative pressure wing, which yes. means what? Which the air flows out instead of flows in. So you didn't want the virus to be spread ah, beyond yeah. that room. So you had um, <clears throat> uh, devices that, that filtered the air out to the outside. That's excellent. I did not know that. So, but, you, but stressful, yes, very much. So. <laughs> um, you know, we didn't know what we were dealing with early on. You go back to March of uh, uh, March of two thousand twenty, uh, when the virus mm-hmm. first hit. Uh, you know, w- w- there was a lot. There was so much unknown. Yes, and uh, trying to prepare for that uh, was really a challenge. Really a challenge. Did we see? Um this is out of ignorance. Did we see a lot of uh, deaths here from COVID? Did you guys in, in our hospital? Uh, you know, I don't remember right now the the number, but yes, there were there was in, in Northeast Arkansas. Uh, we had some at our hospital, uh, some in Jonesboro. Uh, I don't remember the number. It was not extremely high. Okay, uh, but uh, yes, there was was death in this area from from COVID. Yeah. Man, that was that was part of one of the hard things with COVID is like it just became so politicized. It seemed like so early on too, where it was like, oh, don't get the vaccine. That's what the liberals were telling you to do. And it's like I always felt like people would ask me, just people, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor or whatever at times would ask me, like, well, what do you think I should do? And I was like, I think you should talk to your local doctors and your hospital. And and that's the facts. Like whatever's ha- whatever they're seeing as far as their patients, like forget the news. Like there's your so that's that's like real life statistics. Right. Well, I have to rely on science, mm-hmm. and you know the the vaccines were being touted at that time uh, as the only really defense against this virus. So uh, I, I received the vaccinations. Uh, I encourage people to receive the vaccinations. Uh, there were some who you know social media has uh, can be great. But it can be detrimental too. Oh, 100 percent. And uh, you know, I think a lot of misinformation was put out there. Uh, but uh, you know, fortunately now uh, the virus mm-hmm. uh, seems to be a lot milder mm-hmm. than it was initially. Um, you know, a lot of people don't even know that they've had it. Uh, yeah. So it, it is a milder case, but there's always concern that a new variant sure. uh, will, will come. You know, come to be, and and um, you know. We still have we still have COVID patients at the hospital. Mm. Um, I think Greene County today had in the seventies COVID uh, patients. COVID, COVID people with COVID. Uh, I don't think we oh, had okay. any. I think we may have had one COVID patient in the hospital okay. today. But uh, the county uh, that's that's at least reported and what goes unreported, you don't know. Sure, uh, but uh, it was in the seventies. You know, at one time we were up in the thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, it's definitely subsided, but it's still a concern. Yeah, Dr. Baltz uh, is a friend of mine, Brian Baltz. I don't know if you know him. I but do. He, to I me, do. and he said that he didn't come up with this. He got it from He said it's actually just something you learn in, in med school. But he told me back in October 2020, I got it. And he was just like, if this thing is a smart virus, and it is, 
it's going to become more contagious and less deadly because it doesn't want to kill the host. It wants to live. And I, I thought that was just fascinating. I was like, I had no idea that a virus worked that way. It's like, you know, it actually doesn't want to kill you. And that's, it's that's like, correct. I mean, that, that, that's wild. the science of it. And that's what's happening, right? That's, that's what's happening. It's wild. Um, Has COVID impacted hospitals financially? Because I've heard that it seems like some hospitals have really begun to struggle uh, as a result of COVID. Um, uh, their most, finances have been struggling. Most definitely. Uh, and, you know, in the past, there's been times where uh, things would happen where there are peaks and valleys, and it usually affected the small hospitals, the, the rural hospitals. Uh, but now, uh, you know, right before COVID happened, healthcare in general, uh, hospitals in general, started having issues. And it was like that the pandemic, even though we received federal and state funds, uh, to, to help prop us up during that period of time, uh, it just it was the f- it was fuel on the fire. So now we've kind of come out of COVID, but we've seen uh, huge increases in the cost of labor. What's uh, caused that? Uh, part of it's been travel nursing. Uh, there's a shortage of nurses right now. Uh, during COVID, a lot of folks just got out of the of the healthcare industry. Uh, they weren't going to deal with COVID. Uh, I'm so proud of our our hospital that we didn't use any travel nurses during that period of time. Uh, our nursing staff saw a need, stepped up, uh, volunteered to work in those COVID units when dealing with a virus that we knew very little about at one time. So very proud of them. But it drove up the cost of labor. Um, we're dealing currently uh, with uh, uh, inflation, uh, just like mm-hmm. – uh, uh, the public is. Mm. Uh, we're seeing rising. You know, some of our costs are up twenty and thirty percent for things that we were buying two years ago. Wow. Um, shortages uh, caused by by the the pandemic. Uh, hard to get supplies, and when you do get them, you have to pay. You know, fifteen, twenty, thirty percent more than what you did in the past. So mm. all those things happen, and reimbursement to hospitals. I know. Folks get the feeling that hospitals just are cash cows and, you know, have unlimited amount of money and resources. That's just not true. Uh, there, there are some out there. You know, we're a community. Paragol, the citizens of Paragol own our hospital. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not owned by some corporation. We're not out for stockholders or shareholders and trying to make a profit. And We're just trying to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to just, you know – bring new equipment in, bring new doctors in, bring new services in. But uh, uh, our reimbursement over the last few years, I think the, the re- one of the reimbursements we just received from Medicare was 0.7%. That was the increase that we got. Mm. Uh, so less than 1%. Mm. Uh, and your expenses are rising at 30%. Um, as we were talking earlier, uh there's a hospital that's a, a major hospital uh, that I visited with the CEO of, and I, I won't identify it over mm-hmm. the air. But mm-hmm. you know, they lost uh, they lost seven and a half million last year. Um, their year starts July one. They've already lost seven million. Jeez. Um, you know, in, in a quarter, what they lost all last year, and there's no relief in sight for hospitals. Um, no, nothing's so, really being done. No one's. Well, you know, we're, we're trying to get the attention of, of uh, uh, 
know, our, our representatives, our, you know, senators, uh, but the, they've got so much on their plate now. Uh, we're just getting in line. Uh, you know, you've mm-hmm. got, you've got, uh, first of all, you got, uh, you know, partisan politics and, and that's, that's keeping things from happening. Um, you've got, um, uh, the, the, you know, inflation, they're dealing with inflation, things that are going on in Ukraine, um, abortion, uh, you know, there's so many issues that are out there right now that they're having to deal with at the state and federal levels that you know, health care is kind of an afterthought. It, it really scares me. That's scary. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it, it's not just in Arkansas. I mean, we're talking about hospitals across the nation. You know, just pick up uh, uh, Arkansas business uh, this month, you know, talks about an Arkansas hospital, smaller Arkansas hospital that they had to have some state funds to keep their doors open. Uh, could be payroll, and uh, you know it's just because of all these increases in prices. And you know, I think the last time uh, we had an increase from Arkansas Medicaid on the outpatient side for the outpatient services we provide uh, was 1992. Mm. So you know that's what 30 years mm-hmm. ago. And what you know what what is the cost of delivering care done over the past 30 years? And and those those are reimbursements that, that we're dealing with, you know, very seldom, very seldom, and I know it's hard for, for the public to understand, but very seldom what a hospital actually gets paid uh, is, is significantly, significantly less than, than what's, what shows up on the bill. Um, you know, charges actually mean very little. Uh, we're, we're the one industry that, uh, you know, we're, we have price control. Um, you know, if I was a restaurant, and my cost went up 30%, I'm going to pass that on to the consumer. Mm-hmm. We can't because about 60 to 70% of our business comes from state, federal sources, either Medicare or Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a fixed cost for us. So as our, as our cost increase, our reimbursement doesn't. Um, and, you know, Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, they're pretty much a monopoly in the state uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to insurance. And, you know, they pretty well dictate what they're going to pay. So, you know, it's uh, uh, most of our business is set. Uh, we have very little room to negotiate or increase our, our, our charges. Uh, and if we do, it, it means very little. And so insurance controls a lot of that? Oh, yes, very much so. And then uh, the other uh, factor in this that's changed over the last, 10 years or so, especially over the last few years, is these Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, you know, to the to the public, they look great. You know, you see Joe Namath on TV hawking, I can't remember which one it is, but Humana, WellCare, uh, those type of things. And I think the public's being duped a little bit. You know, on the front end, it looks great. You know, it's usually a lower premium or no premium at all. Um, you know, the, the a lot of these... Um, Elderly folks don't understand uh, what they're signing up for. Uh, they just know they're paying less up front. But in the end, when they really have to have the services, um, their deductibles are a lot higher. Their co-insurance is a lot higher. Uh, they get, they're dictated on which doctors they can use. So, you know, uh, 20 years ago when these insurance companies went to the federal government and said, look, we'll take care of these people, just pay us X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. We'll take care of them. Well, 
in order for them to make a profit, they've got to take something out of the equation. And it's on the backs usually of hospitals and doctors that uh, if you look at who's, who made money during the pandemic or over the last five years, go look at Humana, go look at WellCare, go look at their, their port- portfolios, look at what they did. You know, it's billions of dollars in increases. And uh, it's not just on volume. Uh, we fight with them every day. I've got six or seven people that do nothing but fight with insurance companies or fight in with In what these, way? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we had one patient that uh, was on a ventilator in the intensive care and provided services for them, discharged them from the hospital, got them well, and the insurance company denied payment. The Medicare Advantage plan denied payment. Uh wasn't that medically necessary. So, so we've got to fight with that insurance company to, you know, we send them all kinds of data, information. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, they just it's, don't want to give us the money. Degree. Well, that's how they, that's how they make their profit because they're getting X amount of dollars from the government. What they can hold on to is they want to hold on to as much as they can. That's right. That's right. So that's a real challenge. Uh, but all hospitals across the United States right now, um, you know, I've seen peaks and valleys over my 40-plus years in the healthcare industry, and, you know, you adjust to them. Uh, this one, uh, you know, and until you see a bunch of hospital closures, I think that'll wake up mm-hmm. government. Um, when government finally realizes what these Medicare Advantage plans, you know, the government looks at it as, hey, I'm saving money, I'm paying this amount, and I'm done. I'm out of the picture. I don't have to worry about paying any more. But that's not the way that it works. Um, but until there's some hospital closures, um, like uh, uh, the one in Arkansas business that uh, the CEO talks about, um, I think that's what it's going to take to wake wake everyone up. But uh, we have a good hospital. Uh, you know, we're, we're community-owned. You know, you have an ownership in that hospital. It's not owned by the city, and it's not owned mm. by the county, and it's not owned by some corporate uh, company somewhere. It's owned by the people of Paragool. Mm. And, you know, if you don't use something, you lose it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I encourage folks, you know, give us a chance. Uh, let us see how we can help you. You know, we want to be your health care provider. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to be the community hospital, you know, and we've seen it at Kennett, you know, people quit using that hospital and, and look what happened. They don't have one. Anymore. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we've got some shiny pennies down the road and, you know, uh, you go from hospital to hospital, the buildings are a lot nicer sometimes. Equipment is pretty much the same. It's the people inside that make the difference. It's the doctors, it's the nurses, and, uh, you know, I'll put our staff up against anybody for what we do. And, again, we don't do everything, uh, but so does not some of the other ones, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, I encourage folks, let's, let's, let's get behind our hospital. Let's support our hospital. And, and as, we, as that happens, um, good things will come out of it. Well, I'm interested in hearing your story. How did you become the CEO of our hospital? Tell me a little bit about kind of your journey. Sorry, my childhood. Did you grow up here? I, I did grow up here. 
I think uh, my parents, uh, we moved here when I was four years old. So I went through the school systems here, went to Perigold High School. Go Rams? Uh, or I guess Bulldogs? Bulldogs at the time. Uh, <laughs> That's a good mascot. Even after all these years, I haven't quite got used to Rams. I understand. I, I, I'm still an old Bulldog. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, had an opportunity to go to college on a basketball scholarship. Really? Uh, went to uh, then Arkansas College. It's Lyons College now. Okay. In Batesville. So and you played, uh, were you just a basketball or did you play other sports <clears throat> at Fairgold? In, in high school I did. I was on a couple of great football teams. What uh, position? Your receiver? I was wide receiver and played safety. Um but uh, when you say good football teams, what are you talking about? Ten and O, two years in a row. Ten and O. Ten and O, two years in a row. Who was your Who was your uh, your horses? Who was those guys that were? Oh, there were several. Uh, I go back to uh, Billy Fisher. Uh, Billy Fisher was good. Billy Fisher played what running a, back. Uh, really? Jay, Jay Morgan, Keith Wineland, uh, Todd Dudley, Mike Bevel, Sam Oliver. Uh, uh, there, there were a lot of there were a lot of good ten and oh. ten and oh, two years. Who were y'all playing? What was the then? episode? Jerry? We heard about Brian the Osborne. Yeah, wasn't that's it? it. Was Brian Osborne around your age? Big O. He was, he was younger when I was a senior. Brian was a uh, freshman. Okay, that's but that was the one he was talking he was, about looking up, up to all to these him. guys. Yeah, and yeah. he said you got to get them on, didn't he? Yeah, he did. What was he wanting to talk about? Just the glory um, years, the glory days. I mean, like, that's what we're talking about there. Yeah. He said he. That's what I remember that he talked about how much he looked up to you guys. Well, ten and oh, who were y'all playing? Well, like what schools? The conference is a little different now. Batesville, Newport, Osceola, Rivercrest. Um, you ever beaten Osceola? Yes. Yeah, they were they were one of the team. It was uh, usually the, the conference came down to us in Osceola, and uh, those were those were some great games. I mean. Stands full, standing room only. Uh, At Harmon Field. Harmon Field. Wow. Harmon Field. Have there ever been football teams in Paragord like that uh, before or after? I think back in the 50s or 60s, I think Paragord may have had a state championship football team. I, I'm not certain. I, I believe so, though. I don't know what year it was. I'm not certain. But – yeah, Perigal, you know, early on, the early years, I think Perigal was very, you know, and they played Little Rock and Jonesboro and, you know, schools like that. And we're competing like with those teams. We're competing with them. And this is before Tech had a football team, correct? That's correct. Tech, so do you think that hurt? that's what hurt the school is now? I mean, back then, I guess, if somebody really loved football, they're not going to go to Tech, right? They're going to go to Perigal. I'm guessing is how it worked. Well, you know, then Tech was kind of the county school and, Paragol was kind of the city school, and I don't know that football necessarily. You don't think it played a factor? I don't think it really did. Uh, were y'all good at other sports? Like, were y'all dominating in basketball, too? Well, baseball? we made it to the state tournament in, in basketball. Uh, made it uh, my junior year to the semifinals. Uh, thought we had a real run at it. Uh, run at it to a, a team from Dumas that um, – had a couple of players that went on and played uh, uh, college basketball also, and uh, uh, that kind of kind of broke our dream. Right, so right y'all there, were just a bunch of that was just a good athletic group, a good athletic group for about three years in a row. There was that y'all know that pretty much all the way growing up, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. You're uh, like, well, I think so. Uh, you know, because even at the junior high level, we had we had good teams, so they knew that that bunch was coming up. Uh, and we had we had some, we had some good coaches, uh, no doubt about Who it. Who was the coach back then? Bill Keedy. Uh, I don't know Bill Keedy. If you I remember that listening to that any was football of the or basketball, 
football. Okay. If you remember listening to any of the ASU football games, he did some color commentary for ASU football. He, he did that on, after you guys, after Paragol? Yes. After Paragol, he went to Newport, which he was from Newport. Okay. So then Newport had some great teams. Uh, but you were so well prepared with with Coach Keedy. Um, we, we would have sheets that would have uh, – plays that they ran, the other team ran, who the personnel was, what they were, you know, what they were uh, probably going to do. Uh, so you were so well prepared for the game. You, you knew you knew the other team almost as well as they knew themselves. And I feel like, uh, obviously, kids were different back then. I mean, right, there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there's no, I guess, video games to really pull your attention, like – what was that like? Because I've heard Clifton Garner with your friends talk a little about those days. Like it truly does seem like um, what you've seen in a movie, like your Sandlot type days, where just like kids I mean, were outside playing all the time. Like that's why I enjoy that movie so much. I mean, that was my childhood. Uh, back then, uh, back in the I guess that would be the '60s, early '60s, uh, down on North Seventh Street, the north end of the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those houses down there were built about the same time, all about 1,200-square-foot houses, and that was kind of the new addition to mm-hmm. Paragool at that time. And all the, the again, is after the war, after the 50s, kind of the golden age, uh, new homes for, uh, that was probably the first new house my, par- my parents ever had. Mm. And, uh, you know, 1,200-square-foot houses, small houses, uh, not much bigger than apartments or condos today. Were you the only kid? No, I had I had two older brothers, so there was a fam, family of five, wild, uh, three little bedrooms. I think most bedrooms were about ten by twelve. Uh, that was about the biggest bedroom you had. A little, little living area, kitchen, and usually a bath and a half, and that that was that was it. Uh, as a as a young child, uh, my brothers were eight and ten years older, but when we were all there together, I had a little half bed that was in my parents' bedroom, and that's that was that was my until you were how old. Uh, two of my brothers left the house, or one of my brothers left the house, and I got their room. So that was, you know, late 60s, I guess, something like that. Uh, but um, everyone that moved in down there in that north end had kids. So almost, you know, they were, I'd say, um, you know, people in their, in their 30s, 40s, uh, you know, a lot of young couples getting mm. their first home and that type of thing. So. Everyone had kids in just about every house down in that area from about 7th Street over to about 12th Street, north north 7th, mm-hmm. north 12th, that, that block that block of houses down there. Every other house had a kid in it. So we wow. always had plenty to play, pick up football, pick up baseball, depending on what season it was. You're just going to uh, school and you're coming home and you're just going back outside? I can remember being out on my carport with uh, ice frozen to my face, playing basketball. Wow! Out, out in on the, my, my, you know, today I would probably go nuts uh, if <laughs> if my yard looked like my parents' yard did back then <laughs> because we played. There's no grass. Ball, no grass. I mean, you had home plate. Well, you had a big worn out spot right in the middle of the yard. Man, and uh, you know, hit it over the street. It was a home run, and. You know, all that type of thing. But there were always, you know, enough for two baseball teams a lot of times. Isn't that crazy so, to think you know, about? You 18 or 20 kids. If you have that many kids in the neighborhood now, you're not getting them outside. Maybe one no, or two. No. I, you know, I don't see anybody in my neighborhood out, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, and maybe see some adults walking every once in a while, but that's about it. I you know, don't man. see the kids out playing. It's really sad. And I'm sure, too, y'all had to figure out real quick how to handle conflict yourselves. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. where you learn how to. Oh, we had our scraps <laughs> and, and, and our fights. But, you know, the next day you're back out playing. Absolutely. That's part of it, right? So that's right. That's right. part of it. So you played football, played basketball there. <laughs> I guess it uh, now it's a, what, Doc Painter court, that sort of thing. Yes. In those days. Yeah, yeah. We even had, I mean, same gym. I love that gym. I hope I, they never I tear it down. I, that was, I, and especially when like Tech and Paragol played. I mean, oh, that gym gosh. was packed. You know, at the end, you know, they'd be standing out in the uh, concession stand area looking in because there was no place to go. Mm-hmm. That's a fun uh, environment. That's a fun environment. So you then go to uh, Lyon. What did you say it was called at the time? I forgot the name. Lyon, Lyon it was College. Arkansas College. Arkansas then. College, okay. Do you know what you want to do at that point with your life? No. Okay, so what did you think you were going to do? Well, I got down to my senior year. I had my major was public administration, so I wanted to do something in the administrative arena. But I didn't know healthcare wasn't on the radar. Um, I had gotten through college because of a scholarship. I had a full ride there at uh, at Arkansas College at that time, and I knew that um, beyond that, uh, it was going to be difficult because my parents didn't have a lot of money. And um, so I, uh, I was going to have to look at some other opportunities. So I was considering Air Force. I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'd like to travel and see the world. So young, it would be a good opportunity to do that. Um, or go to law school. Uh, I've always been interested in law. And um, right before, uh, I guess about two months uh, before I was going to graduate, I got a call from Mac Harbor. And Mac Harbor was the CEO uh, at the hospital at that time here in Paragool. And I had just completed an internship at uh, White River uh, Medical Center. It was, I think it was the Batesville Hospital at that time. I'm not even sure if it had that name or not. Uh, did about a month internship there. So that kind of got me a little bit uh, interested in, in health care. Mm-hmm. But he called and said he had an opportunity for me if I wanted to come back to Paragool and you know, after four years of college, I was tired of going to school, and I thought, well, you know, I'll go back, get to go home for mm-hmm. a little while. Uh, but he said, uh, come come up see me this next Saturday on the weekend while you're off from school, and let's talk about it. Well, the, the job at that time was called plant manager mm. and responsible for housekeeping, uh, some of maintenance, the yard, mm. uh those type of, of, of things. And so he said, look, if you want this job, I'll hold it for you. So that kind of got me into the healthcare arena. And you're uh, how old at that point? Uh, 18. Wow. 18. I had a, you know, I came back, didn't know anything. I uh, had to learn it all, but, uh, I had about 30 people that, uh, I was responsible for. At 18. At, at 18. What do you think? He's I'm sorry. I was, I, at that time I was, I was 21. Okay. Was, so I was about to say, so you're, yeah, you're finished up college. Yes. Still 21, 21 though. That's super young. What do you think he saw in you at 21? Well, uh, he knew me, um, his daughter and I had, uh, been classmates. So I had been around him a little bit. Uh, he knew my parents. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I guess maybe I had the college background. I mm-hmm. sure didn't have the knowledge, but I had the college background in administration and, and had some idea of, you know, how things worked. And uh, they just gave me, gave me a shot. He held the job open, and 
I graduated on a Sunday and went to work for the hospital on Monday, and I've been there 42 years. 42 years. Okay, so you start out there as plant manager. Uh, you got 30 people all of a sudden that you're responsible for. Um, at that point, I guess you're like, okay, I'm going to stay here. And the vision is maybe kind of climb up and eventually get bigger and more responsibility? I, I don't know if that was my thought process at that time. I was just happy to be back at Paragol. I love okay. Paragol. I never wanted to be anywhere else but Paragol. Uh, so that was a great opportunity for me to be here, go to work. Um, uh, Mr. Harbor uh, left the hospital uh, shortly after uh, me taking that position. A new CEO came in, uh, Dale Christian. Uh, he had come over from um, Kennett Hospital mm. uh, over in Missouri, and he was the new CEO and, and uh, wanted to shore up some business operations. So there was an opportunity. Uh, the hospital didn't have a credit office at that time, and the credit office was kind of responsible for you know, collecting payments, uh, assisting people with, um, with uh, paying their bills, and... Uh, he wanted to set up a new office, which we didn't have at that time. So uh, he approached me about moving kind of over into the business side of the hospital, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I accepted. I uh, spent about a year and a half doing that, first credit office that the hospital had had. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, the assistant administrator at that time uh, left the hospital. <clears throat> so that position opened up, and uh, uh, I, I – Approached Mr. Christian about uh, about moving into that slot. Uh, he gave me that opportunity. So that was what year ish. Oh, I see. That would have been um, about nineteen eighty three. Okay, the year I was born. It's a good year so, so for both of us. Somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood about nineteen eighty three. And I did that for uh, all the way up until two thousand twelve. Uh, Mr. Christian left, and Dale, uh, Ron Rooney came in, mm-hmm. and Ron Rooney was the new CEO. So I, I really kind of got an opportunity to work with three, um, three administrators, three CEOs. Spent a number of years working under under Mr. Rooney. Taught me a lot, uh, and then uh, when the opportunity uh, arose, when Mr. Rooney decided he was going to retire, uh, that that job became available, and and uh, the board moved me up into that slot. So I've been doing that for about the past uh, ten years now. And what exactly does the job of a CEO look like? Like, what is your day like? Your day to day. What does it look like besides obviously waiting on a phone call from the Paragol Podcast to come <laughs> on? <laughs> like, what what else are you doing? Uh, a, a lot of it's uh, dealing with financial issues. Uh, for the medical center, that's a real challenge for hospitals right now. Uh, you know, I have a you know a staff meeting. Uh, there's so many uh, hospitals, kind of like a city unto itself. I mean, mm-hmm. we almost can be self-sufficient, so we can have issues arising from heat and air to uh, food preparation to staffing, uh, recruitment of physicians. Uh, my my daily um, workload, I never know what it's going to be. Mm. It's it's always something different, and that's one thing about my job. You've never seen it all. Mm. There's something new 
every day. Wow. Something to That's to pretty crazy with. considering you've been doing it as long as you have. That, that's true. And, I, you know, you think, well, I've seen it all. Well, you haven't. There's, there's, there's something new to deal with on a daily basis. Well, that sounds like fun, at least. I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I would want to be doing the exact same thing every single day. So it's, I would enjoy that challenge. It is a challenge. It is a challenge. And you've got 600 employees. Uh, you've got about uh, 40 doctors on staff. You've is 600 the, the most we've had, by the way? Excuse me. Is that the most we've had employees? Are we like No, a, it has been a little higher than that in the past. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, you try to right size. You try, yep. to, try, sure. to, try to get what you, you know, only what you need. Uh, Employees, uh, salaries represent, we're servicing industry, uh, so about uh, 50% to 55% of our expenses are related to salaries, mm-hmm. so wages. Um, so uh, you want to right size. That's one expense that you somewhat can, can control. Um, mm-hmm. Other expenses, you know, they are what they are. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it, it, it can be uh, it can be a challenge, and then you've got the public to deal with. Um, you know, thirty thousand people in Paragol plus the surrounding areas. Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 there's a lot there's a lot on my plate at times. When you say you got the public to deal with, explain that to me. Like I'm I'm taking that as in a uh, that can be a challenge, but I don't know if that's what you meant. It. Well, no. You know what we want to do is make sure that we offer a good quality product. Uh, we want to make sure that we do it uh, with great customer service. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, we're a service industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, making sure that that happens and mm-hmm. that we deliver that uh, in a way that, that we'd be proud of uh, and that, the, that our public deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I say we're dealing with the public and mm-hmm. just putting our product out to them uh, and making sure that we're doing it the right way. Yeah, to that end, I guess I'm interested in hearing your um, your perspective on this. And, and, you know, growing up at times in Paragold, I would hear, okay, if you've got something minor, you go to Paragold Hospital. If you've got something that's a real issue, you go to Jonesboro. Jonesboro's Hospital is going to be better uh, suited. they got a lot more stuff. Um, I don't even know where that came from. I don't know why. I, I'm curious for those who are listening to this, um, can the citizens of Paragold trust that, hey, we've got a good – quality hospital that can meet pretty much whatever need you have like and, and if and if yes like help us yeah like how can we trust that is true sure uh well social media as i say you know we talked earlier can be detrimental of course and, and you know we're, we're dealing with individuals uh they're you know sick uh they don't know what sometimes what's wrong with them don't know what tomorrow's going to bring um you know so we, we, we often see people at their worst. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's not always a magic bullet uh, that, that can take care of things, you know. Um, but bigger is always better. I mean, that's, that's the mentality that, that we often have, that, you know, uh, shopping in Jonesboro is better. Mm-hmm. People in Jonesboro think shopping in Memphis is better. So mm-hmm. there's always, you know, the bigger uh, always has more to offer. But, and to a certain extent, that's probably true. Uh, but, you know, for what we do, uh, we've got good general acute care hospital here uh, that I'm proud of, uh, that, uh, you know, our doctors are, are, are trained at the same places that the people in Memphis are, that the mm. people in Jonesboro are, our nurses all, you know, most of the nurses are local, 
Uh, they've come from programs Black River or ASU, so are the ones in Jonesboro. Um, you know, they all come from the same pond or the same well. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, there are things we can't do, and there's, there are things that, that we won't be, uh, me personally. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, I, I had some medical issues. Uh, <clears throat> I had to go to uh, MD Anderson. Uh, there was things that even Jonesboro maybe couldn't have handled. Mm-hmm. So, And you're referring you know, to, for those that didn't, we were talking off air, talking about your cancer. Yes. Which yes. you were diagnosed with, uh, what, what year were you diagnosed with cancer? trying to remember what year uh, 2016 colon cancer correct? colon cancer so I'm six years at? out what stage oh great that's awesome what stage were you in three okay three stage three uh but it was a that was a, a little bit of a harrowing experience again um you know if there's things that we can't do here you know our doctors are quick to get you where you need help mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we make a lot of transfers to St. Bernard's. We make a lot of transfers to the bed in Memphis. Uh, you know, a lot of trauma we can't handle here. A lot of trauma Jonesboro can't handle. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, children. You know, we send children to Arkansas Children's Hospital. Uh, but for the basic medical care, for general acute medical care, uh, you know, I would I would put us up against anyone. Right. Uh, but back to back to my... To, to my issue, uh, you know, if it wouldn't have been for this hospital here, I don't know that I'd be sitting here right now. Really? Why do you uh, say that? Well, I had, a, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I had colon cancer. Um, my colon ruptured. Uh, I knew I was sick, but I, uh, I'm awful stubborn. Uh, I try to stay away from doctors and hospitals <laughs> as much as yeah. I can, but, but I was sitting at home. and uh, you know, Is I this think, before you knew you had cancer? Yes. Yeah. I mean, this this was right before I was even diagnosed, and I became very ill. And uh, but I was wasn't going to go to the hospital. And Doctor Fonciella, uh, Albert Fonciella, came to my house, and he tried to persuade me to go to the hospital. And finally, after uh, uh, us almost coming to blows, I guess uh, <laughs> he persuaded me. I got I just got to feel it's a bad. Well, I got to the hospital with my colon had ruptured. Doctor, I, I'd been septic, uh, and that's where my thought process wasn't great. Uh, but he got me, uh, uh, he got me to the hospital. I uh, got me up to the emergency room. In a matter of minutes, I was in the OR. Wow, uh, Doctor Guy Peoples, uh, who's no longer with us, but was there at the time, general surgeon, uh, took care of my needs, um, did great work, uh, uh, but uh, had an ileostomy. Uh, where you know the colon is exposed to the outside and uh, the bag and and the whole nine yards. I was in the hospital seventeen days at our hospital. Wow! So very sick. Uh, is that the first time you've been a patient there in all those years? It, it was. It's the first time. Wow. And uh, uh, you know, what was that like? How was that? As someone who had been on the other side, now you're a patient. It, well, I had great care. I mean, you know, I coded a couple of times. You coded like uh, in I, in, uh, in surgery in, in the hospital after surgery. Jeez. Uh, so, uh, do you uh, remember that time? Somewhat, like. somewhat. Uh, I was uh, I would get on a, a rant and, and get to talking, and, and I would talk myself into into coding. <laughs> uh, 
uh, and they they would, they would bring me back, and I would just pick the conversation up where I left <laughs> off. But uh, yeah, there would be you know fifteen or twenty people in the room, and they'd been pumping on me. Did you think? Did you did you did you have enough awareness to be like, I think I'm dying? No, no, no. I just I just thought I was sick. Yeah. And uh, but uh, when I got well enough to get out of the hospital, they sent me over to. Um, uh, a, a, a surgeon in in uh, in uh, Memphis uh, at the Baptist System over in Memphis, and uh, wanted me to have, to have them check me out. And, and uh, I'll never forget uh, them you know, the doctors coming in, uh, cancer specialist and the surgeon, and, and my wife and I sitting there across the desk from him. And he said, "Well, he said uh, you probably need to go home and get your house in order." He said, you've got about six months to live. Six months to live? And my wife and I just sat there stunned. I mean, when someone says that to you, you know. This is after your surgery and everything. This is after the surgery. And uh, uh, I had a tumor uh, at that time. Uh, that's that's what caused the colon to rupture. Uh, I had a cancerous tumor, stage three. And uh, uh, it was just complete shock. Uh, we drove from uh, from the hospital across the bridge uh, there at Memphis, and my wife and I didn't say a word to each other. So for about about fifteen or twenty minutes, we were just driving, just just stunned. And so when I got back to Paragol, that's when they sent me over to MD Anderson and started uh, seeing what MD Anderson they were. You know, you're getting a second opinion at that point. Yeah. Well, and they're the they're the cancer treatment specialist in, or one of them in the United States, uh, Cleveland Clinic being another, uh, and then there's the Cancer Centers of America. And uh, What did they, MD tell you after they took one look at everything? Well, they really didn't give me that prognosis. They, they uh, you know, I guess they felt like it could be treatable, and uh, uh, they uh, went under chemo uh, for a period of time. Um, everything looked good. Uh, uh it got rid of the of the tumor. They didn't have to actually go in and remove the tumor. I guess the, for lack of a better term, the the chemo melted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they went. They took me to surgery and hooked me back up. Uh, so uh, everything's been great. Had checkups uh, since then uh, on a regular basis, and uh, everything looks good. That's fantastic. Do you feel like your life is? your perspective on life at all has changed since then? Like, I've always wondered that. Like, whenever you have that close of a brush with death, like, does it change? Do you feel like it's changed your perspective on life? Yes, very much so. Um, kind of you kind of sit back and reevaluate everything. Um, your family's always been important to me, but it, it, was, it made it even more important. Uh, my kids and grandkids and uh, my wife and uh, – those things meant a lot more to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, a mm-hmm. uh, different perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Always been a Christian. Uh, uh, always, you know, uh, sought guidance for God. But uh, but that that changes how you look at things. Totally. Yeah, we just talked about this. Uh, I guess it was on Sunday. Just like you know, I've got a friend that's a director, a hospice director in Kentucky, been for years, and I've, I was asked him actually this past week, like, what are some of people's biggest regrets on their deathbed? And he's like, it's never. I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd done. I mean, I whatever, been more successful. It's like it's always around faith and family, and that sounds 
yeah, just right online with exactly what you're saying. And I think it's important that we hear that for those who are listening. It's like, if it's something is important to us on our deathbed, or in your case, like, yeah, you guess you were on your deathbed. You just so happen to come out of it. But like, if it's important to us on our deathbed, it should be important to us right now. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, so I'm curious as you look back on your experiences in the healthcare system uh, and just your work in healthcare, not the healthcare systems that I'm talking about, but just being in the field that you've been in, leadership, working in the hospital. Do you have any kind of big lessons, anything that you look back on on your time and what you've been doing, things that you've just learned along the way that could be imparted to some of us? Uh, well, I would know where to start. Um, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. Uh, learned a lot about people. Um, you know, you're dealing with 600 personalities. Uh, that's a challenge mm-hmm. often. Uh, you're dealing with professionals. Uh, on a daily basis, uh, you know, folks who've been to school for eight, ten years, uh, know their trade well. Um, so, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know of any really words of wisdom. Uh, you know, I just always try to treat people fairly, mm. uh, try to be open with people, try to be honest with people. Mm. Uh, and I think in the long run, you know, if, if you just do those things, um, things tend to work out for you. Yeah, um, you know, if you try to do things underhanded, or you know, you try to do things around the corner, or uh, not transparent about what you're doing, you know, I think that can backfire on you. Yeah, and hundred uh, percent. I think it's always good to be honest and open. Yeah, it's excellent. Very good. Well, I'd love to end where we do every single episode with some rapid fire questions. Oh no, okay. you ready for it? I, I will try. Okay. All right. Here we go. First one, what is the last show or movie you watched or book that you read? Well, I, I've got to be honest. Last night I watched Yellowstone. Okay. Uh, I've missed, not watched it. I've heard it's great. I, I missed the uh, uh, I missed part of it, uh, I guess, was it Sunday night uh, that it premiered? Yep. And uh, uh, I fell asleep in it. So uh, oh. my wife was out of town last night, so I, I, I watched it. <laughs> I watched it, uh, but the uh, – uh, I, I liked some of the actors in that. Uh, yeah. What's the uh, prequel to that? 18... 1882. Is it 1882? I was going to be like 1812. Right next <laughs> no, door to us. No, no. Uh, that's think, a fantastic show. Have you think, watched it? I have, and I think there's another one uh, coming out that's going to tie that one to Yellowstone. I've heard that too. Ooh. And I think it's a dated show too, right? Like the title's a date? Yes. I think it it's is. like 19... 19- 23 or something like whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm trying to remember who the who the leak uh, oh, who played in Star Wars. Uh, oh, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. That's right. I read that too. He is going to be the. He's going to be one of one the, of the Duttons. Uh, one of the Duttons. Look uh, out! So it's going to be, be a good one. Oh yeah, Harrison Ford. <clears throat> but it's supposed to tie the two together. Um, Yellowstone. I, I, I like it. It's almost. Like a soap opera. Uh, <laughs> For men, I guess. I guess, but language is tough uh, at times, and, uh, you know, probably younger kids should watch it. No, I don't need to watch it with my 10, 9, and 5-year-old? No, 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 okay. no. No, language is often, often. Uh, uh, well, they're cowboys, man. Uh, they're, they're beyond cowboys. <laughs> I've heard uh, of cowboys, aren't they? <laughs> they? They are at that, but... Uh, <laughs> But at, at that, I guess that's probably the uh, – that was last night, so I guess that was the last show I've watched. Yeah, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Big O said he liked Yellowstone. Are y'all friends? Y'all still talk? 
Still do. See okay. Big O quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I might want to watch the next episode together. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the glory years uh, of the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs. Uh, favorite band? You're talking about music oh, yeah. here. Well, I, favorite entertainer. I mean, only that's probably easier for me. I have two. Uh, one is uh, Elvis Presley. Mm. Uh, I saw Elvis's more. last show. I think oh. I was 13. Did you really? 13 years old. So saw his last show in Memphis. Where were you when you found out he died? <sighs> you know, I don't recall. I, I, that's I really disappointing. I, I figured I, you were going to be like, I, I, I know I, exactly where I was. I was on the sand lot whenever my, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but if you look at his his entire work from from uh, gospel to country. Yeah, to, he's good. Uh, you know, I know he didn't write a lot of his, or any of his music for that for that. Fantastic matter, entertainer, but, though. But I've never seen a crowd at a concert react, especially the women, uh, when Elvis was on stage, it's, he just captivated the audience. Uh, the other one is Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Uh, like Give him. me a. Uh, I've uh, I've never been just a huge Paul McCartney fan. Give me one song that maybe I should go listen to that might really kind of open me up. Uh, well, I mean, if you want soft or hard rock, I mean, soft. Give me something a little harder. I don't want the soft stuff. I want something I can work out to. You want something to work out? To? Oh. Well, my favorite soft songs is Here, There, and Everywhere and Yesterday. I mean, those are, those are two beautiful songs. But uh, rock, I mean, if you really want to get with it, uh, Helter Skelter. I mean, that's okay. That's about as crazy as you can get with McCarty. But I mean, there's so many of them. Hey, how about, I just thought, I thought about this connection. How about the days whenever I used to be in a band that played with your son's band? Speaking of rock and roll. Rock and Did roll, you know that? I fo- yes. I think Tyson you- had mentioned that before. Yeah, I followed... Tyson around all over the country, you know, whatever my kids took an interest in. I had one that was real athletic and into basketball and, you know, uh, played with Arkansas Wings and one year in college he played. And uh, then Tyson was the music, you know. Yes. Uh, So wherever they played, I was the kind of the chaperone, made sure. And they were a young age, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And, you know, that that, uh, garage band type thing. Oh, yeah. And you know they had a they had a period there where it was gospel mm-hmm. uh, praise type music. And they had I love how you're referring to it as a gospel because right. it's that screamo like <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it I know what you're saying it's the it Christian was. lyrics, it, yeah, yeah. The Christian yeah, lyrics yeah. with uh, with a different kind of beat. Yeah, and, I'm just thinking if I told my grandparents that uh, listen to this gospel <laughs> <laughs> album, it wasn't uh, necessarily my style, but. Uh, that's what they enjoyed yeah. doing, so we Absolutely. supported it. I love that, too, by the way, and I think that's huge. Anybody who's listening to this, and if you're a parent, like, um, there's a book I read years ago, Never Say No, by actually the the band Switchfoot, the two guys in Switchfoot, main guys, their parents wrote it, and they talk about when you have kids, sometimes they said this is a good exercise for every parent, draw a, a circle on a sheet of paper and write your kid's name. You know, and then draw another circle. However many kids you have, you have two kids, right? You do the two circles. And then you would write in that circle everything they're interested in. And then that represents your kid's planet. And they ask the question, how often are you visiting your kid's planet? And they just talk about it. They have this, they have this whole convincing case on how important that is to get in your kid's world. And I love how you're an athlete. 
uh, you were an athlete, and and I would just think how much easier it could be for some parents to be like, I'm going to be all in on this son over here who's the athlete because I understand that world. That's what I did when I was a kid. Right. Right. Then you have another one who maybe is like, well, I don't really get that. It's not my thing. But you were. I do. I can vividly remember you all being there right. at some of these concerts that we right. also played at, and I always thought that was so cool and right. has had such a big impact, I know, on Tyson's life for sure. That's one of my loves music. I can't play a, a musical instrument. I've tried to pick up several things along the way. It just, it's like a foreign language to me, but I, I love music. Uh, my mother uh, was, a, was a great singer. Mm. Uh, her and her family uh, sung at church. Mm. Uh, I had a, my grandfather was a minister. My dad was a minister. So oh, that's cool. I, I kind of grew up in the church and kind of grew up with the, with the, with the gospel music and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, so, you know, it was, uh, it you was got a, the appreciation for it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and even today, you know, a lot of the praise music, not necessarily my cup of tea. Sure. Uh, I'm still a little, still old fashioned, a little traditional. Sure, uh, but uh, that seems to be what the younger generation uh, moves them, yeah. and so you know, hey, I, that's okay. That's yeah. okay. Whatever works. What if we could put uh, Christian lyrics to helter skelter music? Would well, that, that get you? Uh, <laughs> Would that bring you? I, I don't know. Okay, I, I can't imagine Christian lyrics. To that <laughs> <song>. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question: What is your favorite meal? Oh, anything my wife fixes. Uh, I guess I better say that. Yeah, you better say uh, that. But what about the one thing? Like, this is it. Steak. Steak. I'm uh, a steak Ribeye? Filet? Yes, that sounds great. Okay. Medium? <laughs> Medium. Medium. There you go. Okay. Yeah, not, not, not rare and, and not overcooked. Medium. A little red to it. Yeah, right on, man. I'm all about the steak. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now? Oh, let's see. Uh, probably myself or right now, um, lamp, uh, that's probably about it yeah. right now, but, uh, cell phone, earphones, uh, oftentimes my wife's watching one thing on TV and I've, mm-hmm. I've got my phone out and, mm-hmm. and, and go, you know, going through, uh, social media and see what's going on and I'll put my headphones on uh, or my earphones in and sure, but that, that, that would probably be the two things. Yeah. Great. Uh, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Just an ordinary moment in your life right now that brings you great joy. Uh, ordinary. Uh, we try to do uh, a family vacation uh, at least at least one time a year. Uh, where my sons and their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got three grandchildren, mm-hmm. and we'll go do something together. And that probably brings me the greatest pleasure mm. is when all of us are together and I see those grandkids having a good time, whatever we're doing, whether it's out on the lake or at Branson or Nashville or, you know, wherever it may be, uh, even out in the backyard cooking out. Mm. When we're all together. That's, that's what gives me pleasure. Mm. Very good. Last question. What is the one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Oh, my health for sure. Uh, God. Uh, what what God means to you know my life, mm-hmm. uh, my wife, uh, family. Uh, the, the, you know, it's great to have my family here. I see them, if not every day, every other day. Mm-hmm. So having them close by uh, means a lot. Excellent. Well, 
Barry, thanks so much for making space to be here. I know you're a busy man, but it's been such a privilege and honor to be able to sit here and have this conversation with you. And so hopefully we get to hang out again soon. I've enjoyed it very much. Uh, I got to reminisce a little bit. Right on. Hey, if you're still listening to this, thanks so much for tuning in. If you've not already done so, please check us out on our different social media platforms. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And if you've not done this, I would love for you to go to iTunes. Just take a moment to give us a five-star rating. That helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people who are living right here in this city. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.